back to the audacity podcast it's been a long time i'm coming slowly out of hiatus mode so today's episode is an old recording and i was able to sit down with an old friend from college mr Corey himself be sure to follow him on all of his socials at Corey runs well i hope you all enjoy the video not the video <laughs> i hope you all enjoyed the episode um and i can't wait to see what the rest of this year holds i will be back with more episodes so stay tuned bye y'all and enjoy Hey Jana, how's it going? I'm doing good. How about yourself? Good. How's your day been? It's going pretty good. Can't complain. Good. How about you? It's been good. It's Friday Eve, so we're getting closer to the end of the school year. <laughs> oh, I know you're excited for that. <laughs> Down the <other> days. <laughs> I understand. All right, so it has already started to record, so I'm going to allow you to introduce yourself. Okay. What's up, everyone? My name is Corey. I'm a writer, I'm a photographer, I'm a teacher, and I'm a content creator. All right, and where can they find you? Yes, so uh, for TikTok, Instagram, uh, Snapchat, uh, they're all the same handle. Uh, Corey runs wild. Um, and for other contact information, you can just shoot me an email at like Corey at the riverfolk.com. But for primary uh, purposes of contact, uh, Corey runs wild. You ready to jump into this? I'm ready. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to start off with an icebreaker before we get into what we got to talk about. So, my first question is, beer or bourbon? Oh my gosh. (laughs) (sighs) I'm going to have to say bourbon. Okay. (laughs) Why bourbon? Bourbon's so smooth and like... I don't know. I feel like that you can drink it straight. You can add a mixer. For me, I know you're supposed to like only drink it during colder months, but I drink it year long. So I know, I'm definitely a bourbon guy. I'm actually sipping on bourbon now. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> that is ironic. I know. You must have like been reading my mind. <laughs> it, listen, I've been, I have been planning this out for months even a year probably I'm, so, super huh? I'm super excited about this me too <laughs> <laughs> alright next question barbecue or soul food soul food there's no question which one did you say soul food so I thought you were going to say barbecue because you always had a barbecue joint. Believe it or not, I consider barbecue to be soul food. Like, I don't know. I I don't know. 
Uh, I mean, I guess so. Uh, they put coleslaw. Do you like yours with slaw on? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm one of the weird people who is like very pro coleslaw. Like coleslaw goes with so many things, and I think it's delicious. Depends on who make it. This is I can true. eat it by itself. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Like, uh, I guess just like living in the South, it's like I love good coleslaw. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Camera, like a like a big camera, or your iPhone camera. Camera. I um I'm actually trying to get back into the habit of like bringing my camera more places because I've gotten so to the point where like I just wear my phone and like I snap pictures all the time and I used to say for like security purposes when I'm traveling to new cities that oh at least I'll just have my phone I don't have to worry about losing my camera but I've been following some really cool like creators who shoot and film and it's really inspired me just to, like pick up my camera again. That's amazing. I can't wait to see. I can't wait to see that if you post it. Oh, for sure. You know. <laughs> All right. Last question in the icebreaker. Your favorite place to visit and a place you're dying to visit. All right. So my favorite place to go is the American Tobacco Campus in Durham, North Carolina. This, uh, it's an old tobacco warehouse district, and they've taken all of the like warehouses and stuff and they've turned them into really cool restaurants and shops and uh it's actually where npr is recorded and um there's this nice little creek that runs through it there's a water tower it's just this really cool spot in downtown durham it's like my all-time favorite spot oh wow i didn't know npr ran through there so what's your place you're dying to visit so when i finish my doctorate i've been telling myself that i want to visit cuba so that's like my inspiration right now like all roads lead to cuba right now <laughs> Wow, I haven't heard anyone talk about going to Cuba in like so long. Like everybody, like people I see, they're going to like Mexico and yeah, like, like yeah, yeah, and like overseas. But nobody has said Cuba, and I was like, huh? Yeah, I don't know why. It's been on my list for a while. I think it's because the access to Cuba has been really difficult in years past, but. Uh, in recent years, it's become a little bit easier to visit Cuba, so it's uh, it's been a spot I wanted to travel for a bit. My favorite writer is uh, Ernest Hemingway, and uh, he lived in Cuba for a bit, so that's part of the reason why. <laughs> yeah, Cuba is very interesting because I remember I was reading this book. Sorry, I'm going on this like side note. Go for it. I was reading a book from Asada Shakur. Was mm-hmm. part of the Black Panther Party, and she escaped to Cuba. So I'm just like, I wonder if she's still out in Cuba, duck in the United States. I think so. Her yeah. and Tupac and like all these other people just like hanging out, just hanging out. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so let's get into the nitty gritty because I've been like I'm telling you, I've been waiting to ask you questions. Yes, I'm so excited. <laughs> so I'm going to get into you know talking about telling your story like how you came about like your background and all of that so where are you from and how did it how did it and or your family help shape who you are so uh, I was born in a small town in Virginia uh, Halifax County Um, it's kind of in the south side of Virginia Um, I went to Halifax County High Uh, I am the oldest of three brothers I've always been the uh, 
like the right brain, creative one, kind of the black sheep of the family. I've just learned to embrace it. Um, growing up, I was always drawing and writing and like always doing something uh, creative. Um, let's see, my I come from a musical family. So my grandpa was in a quartet. Uh, my mom's a singer. My aunt plays piano and she sings. Uh, my brother's a drummer. So there's always been like music and some sort of like creativity. My dad takes pictures and uh, he wouldn't really like consider himself like a photographer, but he loves to pick up a camera and just like take pictures. So that's kind of where my love of that came from. Um, let's see, like I said, I went to Halifax County High and then from there I went to Averitt. And uh, Averett was not my first choice. Uh, when, I first, uh, <laughs> when I, so ironically, this is my 10 year anniversary for uh, high school from graduating. 10 years ago, if you would have asked me like, what are you doing after high school? I would have told you that I was gonna buy an RV and escape to New York and just like live on the streets as a writer and an artist and just work side jobs and stuff. And my mom was finally just like, that sounds cute now, but you need to go ahead and figure out what you want to do with your life. <laughs> and so um, I've always wanted to like explore other cities and do things like that. But I was not the most, like I took grades and stuff seriously, but I always kind of had my heads in the clouds. And so I missed the deadline for most schools. And so at the time, like Avert was the only one with like rolling admissions. So I applied there and uh, yeah, that's where I landed. <laughs> wow, that is so crazy how our like stories are kind of similar. Like Avert was definitely not my, it was not my first choice. I was going to an HBCU in uh, South Carolina. I didn't go due to like some financial reasons and I was set on going just to be in like a totally different state and I didn't go and I was so sad and I was like well I got this email from Avery might as well just apply because I didn't apply to any other colleges so <laughs> yeah and like for me so I'm a first generation to go to like a university my mom has her associates from like community college but like as far as going to like a college on campus like a four-year degree like put in my family so they were like we know nothing about this like you're kind of gonna have to figure this out on your own and also be the example for your brothers so when we go into like the therapy part that's gonna come <laughs> all right well since you talked about college so that was my next question what was your experience what was your experience like so at first like my goal was like get my grades as high as i can so i can transfer out that's when i first discovered like vcu and i was like okay like i want to go to richmond it's this really cool artsy city uh i fit the vibe like i just got to get out after this first semester well as you know which <laughs> credits like don't transfer anywhere like once you, it's like a black hole once you're in your head. and uh so i was like okay this is where we're gonna be at um Let's just make the best of it. And so for those who don't know, Avery has like a population or whatever of like a thousand kids. And so it's a super small school. It's actually 45 minutes from where I grew up. And like, I'd never heard of Avery. So that just tells you how small it was. But I, uh, I ended up making the best of it. I, um, so my undergrad was in psych. Uh, fun fact, uh, you know when they tell you that like you'll change your major on average like five times? I was definitely that kid. I, uh, I was psychology, 
And then one of my professors like made me really upset or I was just like really bummed out with a class. So I switched to education for literally like a week. And so uh, then I was like, eh, I don't want to stay too much longer. So I switched back to psychology. Um, I had to take a couple of filler classes. So I ended up taking intro to media and with Dr. Hoffman and fell in love with it. Like, I was like, this is what I want to do. Because as a psych major, I wanted to originally do like art therapy and stuff. Mm -hmm. And oh, I just remembered. Um, then my, I was talking with my advisor and telling him my goals. And he was like, that sounds great, but you're going to have to go back to school. And art therapy is not really a career. And I was like, how dare he tell me? Watch what I do. And then that's when I like temporarily <laughs> switched my page. <laughs> But then I uh, I met Dr. Hoffman, who like honestly completely changed like the projector of my life. Like I was like I want to do what this man's doing. So I took intro to media, and then I took um, sports journalism, and I took news and feature writing. And I was one class away from being a journalism minor, but I was just ready to get out. I was like. I actually graduated when I was 20, so I was like, I'm ready to get out, like, I'm starting my 20s, like, I'm just ready for the adventure to begin, so. Overall, I, um, I really enjoyed my experience at Averitt. Uh, it's what I needed at the time. Um, I really began to get a feel of who I am and uh, what I wanted to do. I met some great people who were also creatives. Uh, did you ever meet Marley? I did. Marley was my absolute best friend on campus. Like, he taught me like I'm the person I am today because of Marley really yeah like Marley was like the dopest kid like he always had his camera around um he's the one who really inspired me to do like photo projects uh like he did this really cool project where he got people to like pose and do some really cool stuff and then he would sell his photos and give it all to like charity and I was like look at this guy like a college kid who's not using this money to like buy extra ramen or like get extra <laughs> he's like, like he's the coolest kid and like that's what he wanted to do he just wants to be like a full-time photographer which he has finally i think made that jump so i'm super proud of him yeah like i've had a few like run-ins or like conversations with marley because like he really kept to himself and was like really quiet so but yeah that's amazing i didn't know that i didn't even know that you were a darn psych major at first that's really interesting yeah again when we get to this i just realized i just needed therapy like honestly, <laughs> i'm so serious when people wow. tell me that they're like a psych major i'm like do you need therapy or do you really want to like be a psych major <laughs> maybe both i think both because they'll give me this look like how'd you know and i was like I, i'll tell you about it <laughs> okay so my last question in this college topic because you answer pretty much any of them what would you change about that time frame of your life journey about college so knowing what i know now again being like first generation basically like a first generation college grad um i definitely would have gone to an hbcu if i would have known what an hbcu was back then okay. i um, i would have made it work somehow like i didn't realize that so in danville apparently there's an hbcu like in lynchburg and I what yeah there it's a uh, university of no, the virginia university of lynchburg it's a historical black college and it's in lynchburg Oh my gosh, I did not know that. Yeah, and then uh, because I always thought like from here, like A&T would be closest, but of course that's like out-of-state tuition and all that stuff, but yeah, I, I definitely would have gone to an HBCU. Okay, so you're 
see you had you were near A&T but my sister she graduated from VSU and I went to high school in Petersburg and I was just like I'm not trying to see these people for another four years like I'm not trying to do that <laughs> so I'm going to pick somewhere else <laughs> yeah well I will say this if it weren't an HBCU I would have gone to BCU like I know it's not the exact same but like We'll get probably later into this, but like Richmond, like if I didn't move to Richmond, I would not be the person I am today. Okay, well that's actually next. So <laughs> let's get into Richmond because I know that that was like a crucial part of like your growth. So how and how and in what ways did that help you grow? For sure. So after I graduated from college, um, I ended up doing an internship in Danville and. I did that for a bit. I ended up getting a full-time job after that, working at a bank. So, like, I was getting settled in, like, building credit, all the, like, traditional things I said to do in your early 20s. Mm-hmm. And I still had that wild hair just to, like, live in Richmond. And people were like, especially my parents, they were like, you can't just move to a city because you have an itch to move to a city. And during this time, I call this, like, my watch me chapter. So, like, I would do things just to prove people wrong. So... I um, so I was working at the bank, and I also picked up a part-time job at our local YMCA. And so, I mean, I was just working, grinding, saving as much money as I can. And I literally like called around, tried to get some jobs. I ended up landing a job at a call center. Whew, that's a story in itself. Uh, call centers. <laughs> I think everyone has like a call center experience. Like you, yep. like ah. But landed the job, uh, found an apartment, and I literally just like up and moved to Richmond, and it was the absolute best decision I'll ever make in my life. Was it okay? So once you were there, like, what was it? Scary? Like, in what other ways did it help you grow? Like, because moving to a whole another city, especially Richmond, because sometimes it can be dangerous. Yeah, and so, like. <laughs> I grew up in a small town, like, I, I'm i a Southern kid, like, I'm born in the South, raised in the South, like, more than likely would not leave the South, like, and then growing up, like, in the country, like, it was definitely a bigger experience, but I've always loved, like, like, I appreciate the South, and I, I call myself a Southerner, like, through and through, but I'm not country, like, I love big city, like, you give me Durham, you give me Raleigh, you give me anything with skyscrapers and concrete and crime and pollution like that is me all the way so I um funny story when I first moved there I didn't my car I like dropped up like several stuff like several of my things like it was a really rough like moving process uh at the time I had friends who were like oh yeah you know we'll help you move and like of course that fell through so like I single-handedly had to like move all my stuff into the studio apartment um I ended up getting like a parking ticket like the next day just because I was still getting adjusted to like where I could park and stuff. But like all in all, I was super happy. I was freelancing. Um, I really, I met some really cool creatives who were also doing like this full-time creative thing. That was my first experience with First Fridays, which is just like the dopest concept. Um, Like I said, a lot of freelancing. I really developed myself as a writer, a photographer. Um, I met some people who did creative marketing, podcasting, things like that. So all the niches that I do now, bits and pieces of those just came from uh, strangers and friends that I met in Richmond. That is crazy. Like, you are definitely, like, the networking king. I will give you that. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, again, I picked it up there because, again, like, you just moved to the city and you literally know, like, no one. Like, I had, like, distant family and stuff that lived there, but as far as someone who was literally, I had just turned 23. Mm-hmm. And, like, to this day, I consider that my magic number because, like, that was just, like, the golden year. And that was also during summer 2016, the year that everyone says, like, that magical summer. Like, so it was just, like, the perfect summer. I spent every day either at some little concert or at some venue or poetry slams or first Fridays, just like just engulfing myself in the Richmond culture. That sounds amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Our summers aren't looking like that anymore. So I know. I don't know what is happening. Maybe we got older and like these jobs are just like sucking the life out of us. I know. Something. <laughs> <laughs> So what are your pros and cons of doing something of that magnitude just up and moving? Um, pros, if you can do it, do it, especially in your early 20s. Um, so I didn't stay in my hometown. I have no intentions of moving back to Halifax. It's just, I've outgrown it, I think. Um, but for folks who live in like their town and stuff, I'd highly recommend whether it's a year, six months, whatever, just like getting out for a bit and experiencing new people, new culture, um, even just getting a, a deep appreciation of where you're from. Because I lived in Danville after graduating and then moving to Richmond, even moving back to Danville. I was like, okay, there are some similarities there. Like, yeah, it sucks. Like, I will say Richmond's expensive. That, that's gonna be one of my cons, but uh, it. I saw a lot of similarities and I could truly appreciate things like family and uh individuality and just being a creative and starting new things like this whole entrepreneur thing it made me really truly appreciate that as well this is fascinating i love it (laughs) all right so my last question in this segment what is a life lesson that you always carry with you um prove them wrong uh, go fast and break things. You can always just like pick up the pieces later. Just like if you're thinking about doing it, if you have a plan and you're able to do it, like do it. Whether it's short term, long term, uh, go for it. Just do it. <laughs> that's some that's some good advice, especially for like the younger generation. So now that I ask you that, so do you tell your your students the same thing? Yes, and they're always like, well, I want to get out of Danville. Like, I just want to travel and do things. I'm like, do it. Like, I've done it God knows how many times. Like, whether it's a road trip, whether it's a weekend trip, like, if you have the itch to do it and, like, you're financially and mentally and physically able to do it, like, I say go for it. And when you say that, I hope you tell them if they go to college, study abroad, tell them that. Yes. Because I wish I did it because I'm like, I'm like, listen, I got student loan debts anyway. I should have just did it. Exactly. And like, so can I quickly go back to the college question? Yep. <laughs> I, okay, if I could go back to college, I definitely would have just been a journalism communications major. So fun fact, I think I mentioned it, but like in high school, I wanted to be an art major. And my parents were like, no, we're not paying you to like color and draw. So that's where we kind of like compromise on the uh, like psychology with I'm like possibly doing art therapy. But then of course my advisor shut that down. So I was like, eh, I'm just stuck being a psychology major now. <laughs> well, I'm glad you found like your way 
Yeah, I think it, I, I honestly just like put bits and pieces together. Mm-hmm. Like where I am now is not because of a major in college. Like I honestly feel like I created my own like major and just like, like this is super cliche, but like life has been my major. Like, I don't yeah. know. Every experience that I have done has just because been because uh, courage, faith, the grace of God, and just like pure adventure, you know? So I regret nothing. And we love to see it. <laughs> we love to see it. <laughs> All right. So let's get into the next part because I also want to ask you how did you come up with your handle for social media? Um, I feel like I know the answer, but I want you to explain it to the people. <laughs> so, uh, my Instagram handle is Corey Runs Wild. Fun fact, it used to be Corey W23.jpg. Uh, mm-hmm. the JPEG part because of, um, I'm a photographer, of course. And so I, I just wanted to like switch things up a bit. And so when I began really becoming like this, like social influencer, like brand ambassador, I was like, okay, I need something that's a little bit easier to type. And so I'm a runner and i run wild like daily so i was like cory runs wild like that has a nice ring to it mm-hmm. uh fun fact it was almost cory lives wild and i was like and eh, that doesn't really click as well as cory runs wild and so i was like we'll go with it and i actually won this contest where a local graphic designer um was designing logos for people and pitched it i was like we'll see what it looks like and the way that she like did it it looked perfect so i was like that's it i'm officially cory runs wild yeah. <laughs> Because I do love your avatar. <laughs> I love it. Was that what your guess was going to be? Yeah. <laughs> Either that or like because you're like always running to like discover something or yeah. get on the adventure. So. Yeah. But I figured your old, your old um, handle had to do with pictures. Yes. <laughs> All right. So getting into your multi-hyphenated content creator you know you wear many hats you wear a lot of hats and I'm just like I want to be like him one day (laughs) (laughs) Oh, how do you juggle all of them because you have a lot so it is all three things time management self-care and like keeping a notebook or keeping some type of list like literally throughout the day whether it's a scrap piece of paper whether it's a sticky note whatever I can get my hands on and like physically write like I'm constantly jotting down like this is what I need to do and then just like physically taking a pen and marking it all has been my saving grace because um we'll talk about more about it like with mental health but like I feel accomplished when I can like physically like mark it all because with all that I do, like, it's so easy to get overwhelmed. And there have been times where I just, like, shut down. I'm like, I just freeze. I'm like, there's no way I can do it all. So I'm just going to do nothing. So um, definitely time management. I wake up, I'm a huge morning person. So every day I start at 5 a.m., go to the gym, uh, do the whole teacher thing, uh, try to make some time for, like, content creation, like, throughout the day and stuff. And then just other shenanigans here and there. It's all about just, like, looking at my calendar and, um, finding space for it yes you you do a lot but I, I truly enjoy your content like you don't even know <laughs> so and and I guess we're kind of the same 
kind of the same. Um, I definitely, I'm good. I love a good pen and paper. Mm. I got to write something down. Mm-hmm. Got to get my thoughts out. An idea, a question, something. Um, so definitely we're on the same page there. And I think you answered the next question about getting involved in, you know, these different avenues. So I'm just going to go to the next one. What does a typical day in the life of a content, content creator look like? So, do you want me to do when I'm wearing my Mr. Williams hat or like when I have summers off and I'm just like full-blown content creator? Full-blown content creator. All right. So, again, I, I'm a morning person. So, first thing I do when I get up is I go for a run. Uh, I get outside. I clear my head. I just like completely reset. Um, from there, uh, I usually will get ready. I'll grab my laptop. Uh, notebook, all that stuff, and I'll head to some coffee shop or travel to somewhere. Um, check out my Instagram for recommendations for coffee shops. Um, I'll do some planning and stuff. I'll usually try to plan my content. So I used to be super ambitious and would do it for the month, but I, uh, in the name of self care and uh, like a healthy mindset, I have cut back to like weekly content and sometimes even just daily content. Like, hey, if I get these three to four posts today, like I'm happy, like I feel accomplished. So I do that. Um, I try to do batch photos and batch posts as much as I can. So um, whether I'm taking photos or if I'm just like planning out and scheduling posts for the week, day, whatever it is, I try to do that. Um, Kind of a backtrack. So when I moved back here, I started a creative marketing kind of this like media ecosystem and so um, I did a lot of like branding and social media work photography design work for businesses and um, entrepreneurs and so I finally decided I don't know where I'm gonna do the time for it but I'm big in, uh, bringing that back this summer so again just working with brands trying to come up with like campaigns and really cool things for them so again just like a lot of planning a lot of coffee a lot of uh, <laughs> and a lot of just creativity I wish I had half a creative brain as you. Oh my God, Jenny, you're right there. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I, I'm not that creative, but yes, like, you are. what you come up with is just like, yo, like you be having me dying, especially when you did the Austin Powers um, TikTok that you posted on Instagram. I was so weak. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. It's, uh, it's definitely one of those cases where like, laugh instead of crying or whatever the say <laughs> definitely especially like in today's climate and in education right now which we'll get to that like <laughs> yeah so we're going to get into uh the mental health portion because like i'm newly getting into it and like trying to figure out my journey with that so doing all of this with you know being a multi-hyphenated content creator a teacher um, how do you take time for yourself and like what does self-care look like for you? For sure. So I, um, again, it's all about time management and um, self-care. And sometimes like it doesn't get all done. Um, so I'll say for being a content creator, um, just for some of the goals I've set for myself, I try to shoot for three to four posts a day okay. just to keep myself in the algorithm, um, gain some followers and things like that. And sometimes like, it's not there. Like whether I have like a rough day at school or just like 
some of the ideas that I think that like will work out. I'm just like, and that's not really flowing with like my post right now. Like sometimes I have to take a break and say, hey, like we'll readjust tomorrow. Like it will be okay. Um, as far as education, um, so again, another like sidetrack. I'm an English teacher for those who don't know. Uh, I've been teaching for three years and it is my favorite title that I hold so far. I love teaching. I love working in education. Um, it's been an incredibly difficult year for education and I really had a tough year. Um, so I work at a Title I turnaround school, which means that uh, we're fighting for accreditation and a lot of our students, 80% um, of them live either at the poverty line or below the poverty line. So that in itself um, has a role on mental health uh, and just like vicarious trauma. And so we've gone through several like administrators and stuff. And this year we have had the absolute worst um, just like administration and some of the things they've tried to implement. Um, when I say that it's truly been traumatizing, I'm talking like administrators have gaslighted us, they've gaslighted children, they've tried to like pit us against each other. There's just been like no support. So as far as mental health this year, this has been the roughest year. And this is like y'all's first time fully being back like in school. Yeah, yeah. learning, right? So we had the year where we were like fully virtual and then uh, we had like a hybrid year last year, and then this has been our first uh, normal year back in school. And it's actually my first normal year like teaching because um, it's year three for me. So this is the first year I could go to prom. I went to like football games, like went to a pep rally, and I was like, oh my gosh, like this is so weird. Like I've been teaching for so long. Well, not so long, but like I've been teaching for three years, and I've never, you know, been to a football game or like seen kids like prepare for sporting events or like gone to a concert things like that you know <laughs> right oh yeah that has to be rough especially i'm surprised administration would like try to pit the students and the teachers because that is just weird so we um they sent someone to our school to help kind of like turn it around get it back on track and stuff and it was just a bad fit um I mean, don't get me wrong, they, they're an excellent educator, and I think that a different role in education would have been better for them. Definitely like something more behind the scenes, nothing directly working with like children and teachers and stuff, because you've got to have the right personality to work with, of course, the babies, but also with teachers and stuff and just being in a leadership role. And of course, leadership has like different, different faces, different roles and stuff, and I just think that they would have done better in like a central office role or something more with like having a back end role with education. Mm. That is so great. Yeah, I feel comfortable saying that because I just signed my contract for next year. <laughs> <laughs> you wanna know? That was totally off topic, but I'm just talking about you being in school. I every time I watch um Abbott Elementary, I think about you and the guy is like, I'm just here to be a principal. Yes, that is me. <laughs> That's actually my end goal. Like, I want to be a principal. I mean, I, I, love, <laughs> I love the classroom. I love, like, like seeing my kids every day is, like, the best part of my day every day. But I'm like, what you see on Abbott Elementary is what I go through, except at a high school level. Like, from funding, to what the building looks like, to the struggles, just like, having to come up with solutions on a blink of a hat like that, that those teachers go through, is literally what education's like. 
wow that is so crazy like literally every time I watch an episode I'm cracking up but I'm just like this just reminds me of Corey like I'm just here to be <laughs> you want to snuff for me <laughs> <laughs> I don't know I, I, don't, I cannot do it I get passed off to teachers I cannot do it mm-mm Mm-mm. I said the same thing. I never thought I'd be a teacher. I think we've had this conversation, but like three years ago, like I was doing like the full-time creative thing. Like I was loving it. I hit 26 and it was like, all right, you're coming off your parents' insurance. You can get Obamacare or you can teach because they have really good insurance. And I was like, well, let's try it. So here I am. I don't know. My mental health would definitely take a break because I'll be crying I love it though it's 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 a ministry and like I truly believe that like I really think it's my calling in life and I don't see myself doing anything else shout out to teachers because they the good ones definitely leave a mark for sure I truly believe that and it makes me like whether it's college or like high school, like some of the teachers that really had an impact on me, I'm like, wow, they did do that thing that really just like stood out or they really went the extra mile, especially in high school when I was acting a fool. Like those teachers really were there just to like make all the difference. Absolutely. And they get paid. Yeah. Scraps, Scraps, pennies. (sighs) Like kids are begging for snacks and I'm like I literally it's gonna be another three weeks before I get paid <laughs> dang oh, I'm to that. <sighs> shout out to you and all the teachers though for real like that is I appreciate it <laughs> like y'all are parents without even having to go through the whole process therapists <laughs> without having to get your um, license like y'all wear a lot of hats Oof. And that was the thing. So, like, another hat. I'm also a doctoral student. Um, I'm writing my dissertation now. And uh, just doing, like, the full-time student, full-time teacher, full-time creative thing. Like, literally wearing or doing three full-time jobs at the same time. Like, it's all about patience with yourself, uh, extending grace to others, asking for grace. Like, when we talk about mental health, like, advocating for yourself is something I'll definitely speak highly of. But, um... 80% of it is just like, how do you feel that day? Like, if you're not feeling it, don't do it. That's been the biggest piece of advice um, I've learned for myself, from my therapist and things like that, and also veteran teachers. So after year three, so like year four and beyond, like you're considered a veteran teacher. And I'm excited because I'm ready to run my mouth like some of these older teachers. Like, I'm ready to advocate more for myself. Like, because in education, like, it's easy to get taken advantage of, especially when you're young and energetic and you care so much about the field. Like, they will suck you dry. And, like, my burnout has been the worst this year. I will say that. Yeah, I can I can imagine. I can only imagine. And plus, it's like y'all are just getting back in, like, the physical school to kind of get it back to normal. I can imagine. 
Yeah, it's it's been something. I feel like I've gotten us like way off track. <laughs> no, it's fine. I love it. But getting back into mental health. So, what advice can you give men struggling men- mentally? Because I know like you're a huge advocate for men, especially black men, in their mental health. Yeah, for sure. So, um, if it's cool, like I'll share my story with like how I got into like therapy and things like that, and then like I'll give advice if that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. So I have always. What I tell people is I've always lived with the check engine light on. So nothing's like necessarily wrong with the car, but it's like, hmm, this light's on, but I'm just gonna like pretend like it's fine until it gets worse. And that's when I'll like, you know, deal with it, all right? So 2020, of course, the world is just like a complete dumpster fire. And my check engine light is like really blinking. I'm like, something's wrong. I need to talk to somebody. And so um, this is also in the heat of um, a lot of the political reform and like what I call the second civil rights movement that we went through in 2020. And like things were just really hitting me from like all sides. Like I was trying to be the best teacher I could. I was trying to um, like my client list at the time was just like skyrocketing because all the people I told like, hey, you're gonna need social media. You need an online presence. Like you never know what's gonna happen bombarded me with like projects and so like I just crashed like I literally like a house of cards like I just like collapsed I was like I've got to do something and so um, a friend of mine from high school her mom uh, works in mental health and she was like hey um, I really want to chat with you like I know you've I think I'd made like a post or something advocating for mental health awareness month and she was like hey I know that you've um, been looking for a therapist I want to recommend um, a new therapist that we have his name's Rodney. He works really well with like males, young males. And she was like, I know you're not an adolescent, but like people in their early 20s, he works really well with. And he has been such a pillar in my life. Um, so I have adjustment disorder with, um, I think like manic depressive episodes or something like that, or tendencies. And so that just means that in highly stressful um, events or situations like I'll either, it's called like catastrophizing, where like you just overthink it to the point where like you shut down, or it goes into these like manic episodes or these depressive episodes. And um, I've gotten a lot better with it. And I will say that like I was hesitant at first because I was like, I'm not going to like a mental hospital. Like I, there's no way I can afford it. Uh, not only like the stigma behind it, but like I was just terrified. I was like, I don't know people, I don't need people to think that like. I'm unstable. And so when I mentioned that to Rodney, he was like, literally, that's the number one reason why people don't go to therapy. And you only go to a mental hospital if you're thinking about hurting yourself or you're thinking about hurting someone else. He was like, that's the only reason. Like when you're a threat is when you go to these places. It really just like changed my mind. And I began really advocating, especially for um, like black and brown males, because that is like the highest number of people who secretly deal with these situations, like mental health and things like that. And they're also one of the highest groups that um, choose suicide or uh, riskier lifestyles, whether it's smoking or drinking or just these self-destructive behavior. So um, it's part of my dissertation and I see it day to day with the kids that I work with. And even some of the backstories, like um, the males in my life, I'm like, you You need to go to therapy. Like, there's nothing wrong with it. You don't even have to tell people. Like, I choose to openly, like, tell my story because I want people to, uh, like, become more comfortable and especially in the black community, uh, make it more common. But I'm like, 
you don't tell people when you go to the doctor, like you don't just like announce, oh, I'm going to check up today. Like having a therapist is like a-okay. Listen, I love it. Before we got on, I was actually in my therapy session. I forgot about it. <laughs> and it's just like, I need it. I need it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm actually reconsidering, like, talking to Rodney again. Because when I say that this principle has driven me, like, up the wall, like, I need just a space. And people are always like, oh, I've got my friends, or like, I've got family and stuff, or a big thing in the black community, oh, faith and stuff. Okay, you can love Jesus and, like, have a therapist, too. Like, I identify as Christian, like, I have a grown relationship with God every day, but, like, I need therapy. Like, it has literally saved my life. Like, there is nothing wrong with that. And as far as, like, relying on friends, like, I don't want to put those burdens on them. And I'm sorry, I love my friends to death, but they're not qualified to give the advice that a therapist is, like qualified to do so like i'm gonna pay my little whatever a month and like talk to my therapist you know (laughs) yes and that's why i did my um my episode talking about like my therapy process and what i learned and like how i found my therapist i'll tell everybody listen go to therapy girl go to therapy like i'm always like I'm at a wedding. A flower girl in a wedding. Go to therapy. Just go to go to therapy. Yes. And like, even if you just need like general life advice, like go to a therapist, like talk to someone. I tell people, if you just need like a fine tuning, like, hey, I just got this big promotion or hey, like I'm about to move to the city. Like go to a therapist, like talk to someone. Like you do not have to be in a crisis to see a therapist. Like literally just everyday life decisions, like they are there for you. And it's, it's not even just like a therapist. It's like having a life coach. Because my, for a good while, me and my therapist was talking about budgeting, saving money, yes. how to get out of jobs. What am I looking for in my job and career? And like a lot of things. Like it's not just about this is my trauma. It's like how, like how can we get life not to be as stressful as it is? Like it's more than just talking about your traumas and thinking you're going to cry it's like i'm trying to help you get your life together and it also like the next things like i learned so much about like me and how i operate how i communicate like mm-hmm. even just little things with like family and stuff i'm like oh that's why that's out of the family's crazy oh that's why i react when i see these people like mm-hmm. it helps connect dots that i didn't even know was there like I've seen this graphic and like if I find it I'll send it to you but it's like a ball of yarn and like the person like it seems like this big mess and the therapy is the therapist is literally there just like helping them untangle this ball of yarn and I don't know it's just beautiful image that's all therapy did for me was just like take the missing pieces uh connect them and then just like clean up the mess honestly yep and my therapist is Jamaican and she tells me about myself and I just sit there like yeah girl you listen you hit the nail on the head because that's me all right i get it now (laughs) i get it like and i've learned so much like i knew nothing about attachment styles when i went to therapy and when she told me this is what your attachment styles are and i was like yo that is real deep i didn't know that i didn't know it was a thing yeah and then like so as i was beginning to i call it like graduate from my therapist um therapy program at the time um so we would meet uh mondays and thursdays at seven and again this was during the pandemic so like i wasn't really traveling i wasn't doing anything but i'd gone for like a run or something and i was outside and it was like 
7.30 and I was like, crap, I forgot therapy. And so I rush in, it was teletherapy, of course, since we couldn't like go anywhere. And he was just sitting there and I'm like, Rodney, I'm so sorry. Like I completely forgot. He said, no, I expected this to happen one day. It's just that you've healed. What do you need from me? And I was like, I think you've given it all. And he was like, well, that shows that like you found yourself, you found your resources and like, He's like, I think you're done with me. And when I say I was like super emotional that day, like I have no issue saying that. And he's like, it's fine. I'm still here for you, but the healing has begun and go, like go in peace. And I was like, okay, I can do this. <laughs> that is amazing. I don't know if I'm, I don't know. Like I feel calmer now than I was, but I'm not ready because I'm still dealing with some things. You, you never rush it. Like take all the time that you need like I think my I want to say that session was like maybe three months I think I started in May yep and it was right before school had started because he was asking if we needed to like adjust for my school schedule and then when I had missed that day he was like I think you're I think you're gonna do fine wow that is crazy yep <laughs> that is so crazy it and I mean I tell everyone I tell my students I'm like look y'all get free therapists if there's like emotions that you can't process if you've got things that you're going that are going on in your life and you just can't like find the words to express them talk to a counselor talk to a therapist like I mean even with their parents I'm like look like I think your child needs therapy um you might want to consider maybe family therapy individual therapy but like I'm trying to get this and Gen Z, you know Gen Z, like they're open. They they have no cares about it. Like they're like, yeah, I'm I'm going to see a therapist. Yeah, I um, I'm the first in my family to go, Thanks. and I and I was like, yeah, I'm in therapy. Told my sister, look, y'all need to get in therapy. My mom, you need to get in therapy. Um, there's one family member. I'm not gonna put her on blast, but you know she's younger. She's she's in therapy so i'm proud of her for that um i haven't talked with her about it but yeah um, i'm glad she's doing it and then i think like i would love my parents to go so once they begin to process the things that happened in their childhood they'll realize like okay maybe it wasn't intentional but i did pass this on to my kids and like this is where it's going to end at you know like there's just a stigma in the black community that like Oh well, you know, if you go to therapy, um, you're crazy. They're gonna take your kids away. Uh, you're not able to raise a family. Like, I don't know what it is, but I'm like, no, nah, I need this therapy. Definitely, we definitely need like our parents and like our grandparents. They definitely needed therapy, and just, they're just calling it. Oh, he just crazy. Um, I'm definitely at a point where I'm like, I don't know, it's because I'm older. I'm like, people before people have kids I feel like they need a full like psych evaluation they need to be in a yes. to go to therapy before you have kids because it's a lot that you could transfer to them and it's like no you don't need to have that trauma keep living on exactly and then just like the recent events and stuff this shows why like women deserve to make the decision what they want to do with their bodies what they want to do with like kids and stuff like if they don't want to have kids because they don't want to pass on these things or they know that the partner that they're with uh they're half crazy and like they don't want to pass that gene on like they have the right to make whatever decision they want to make yeah and 
it's fabulous being a woman sometimes, but yeah. Lord knows, like having the government try to control your reproductive organs is just really it's the Um I don't even know. Maybe the the United States just need therapy overall. Like yeah. literally like, everyone. America just needs therapy because it's ghetto. <laughs> Very ghetto. It's it's a terrible country. We are a terrible country. Literally, just wrapping the Gucci belt. Honestly. Gucci slides. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. But I'm glad that you advocate for your students. Um, talking with their parents. Um, especially, you know, because you do, like, you're a black male teacher. And, like, I remember I had a black male teacher when I was in elementary school, it was a music teacher, and then in elementary school. MPE teacher, that's usually where you would find, like, your first black um, male teacher. So, what has that, like, been for you? Because you're an English teacher, and you're advocating for black mental health, and why is that important for, like, little, like, little black and brown boys to see and hear? Yeah, and so you're right, like, so I'm one of two black teachers mm-hmm. of my staff of 150 teachers. So what? one of two, like male, black male teachers make up 2% of all teachers in America. And so, like, yeah, we make up 2%. And so, like you said, they either, most of the time they're PE teachers. Um, a lot of them are in administration. Um, they're also, they're often seen as like the disciplinarian. So. Um, if kids are acting out, they're going to send you over there to them. But uh, being an English teacher, it's not too common. And so, A, I always tell them, hey, if you're going to express yourself, whatever you're going through, write it out. Like, pick up the pen. Uh, don't fight that kid. Don't get on Twitter. Don't get on Snapchat, like, running your mouth. I give them pen and paper. I'm like, you're going through something. Take 10 minutes. Write it out. You can ball it up. You can throw it away. You can set it on fire when you get home, please don't do it in my classroom, but like whatever you need to do, get that anger out and begin to process those emotions. And so just get into them to reflect within themselves. And also just like growing up in poverty, as many of them do, like I grew up in a lower income home. So I understand like the secondhand trauma that comes with that. Like, okay, thank God I wasn't as bad as some of these kids, but like a lot of them were, okay, where's this meal gonna come from? When am I going to see my parents again? Who's going to care for us? What's going to be my transportation? So processing that on top of schoolwork, on top of all the other social justice issues that are going on in America, on top of being in the pandemic, like there is so much weight on them that they just like, they act out because they don't know how to express themselves. Yeah, that's, that's that like kids and like little kids and like they're still learning how to process and communicate their emotions, feelings, traumas and things like that. So it's it's like a fine line. Like you have to, you know, because they're coming into like adulthood, especially in high school, but they're also still children as well. So Yeah. And so I often tell them like also watch who you surround yourself around and like also watch who you look up to because the people you surround yourself and the people you look up to will greatly influence the person you become. So if you're hanging around toxic people who um, all they want to do is smoke and drink and they're telling you just to bottle it up, like you need to like distance yourself from the people. And it sucks when it's family members where 
okay, like we don't have anywhere to stay, so I've got to go with that uncle who smokes weed like five times a day, or I've got to go with uh, that auntie who you've got people coming in and out the house, like there's no stability. So it's a struggle, like I can't deny it. Right, and they probably just want some normalcy. In love, like that's all this, like they would do the funniest and like just ridiculous things for attention, like, and I give it to them naturally. Like, I'm like, you didn't have to do that. Like, if you want to, <laughs> like, all you have to do is say that. Right. So, that, well, I'm glad, like, I really am glad, like, like you're advocating, you know, for them. And speaking of advocacy, because you not only advocate for, like, your students in school, but you also advocate for social justice. So, I'm not gonna lie. When I was when I saw you out, like you know, marching and taking pictures and things like that. Excuse me, I was scared. <laughs> I was scared for you because it's like these shootings are going on, and like you know, black men and black women are just getting killed in the streets. So I wanted to ask you um, because you are such an advocate. Like, are you ever scared or nervous of like being out? at like a march or a rally doing you know social justice advocacy i will say um 2020 was probably the scariest year that i protested uh just because of covid that was probably my biggest fear but it was the year that was just like i was terrified to be a black man because i mean shooting at the shooting at the shooting and just like all these interactions with the cops and things like that and then like it was just fear on top of fear. But one of the biggest things that I learned since becoming an educator is that education and social justice go hand in hand. Um, so I knew that as a teacher, like my kids had to see me out there fighting for them because working with primarily black and brown students, like they know that there's nothing I wouldn't do for them. And I want to create the best world possible for them, not only as far as academics, what they're learning but just to have a safe space for them to live and grow and um, just become the people that they want to become because I'm constantly telling my kids I'm like my goal as a teacher I want to see you grow old like I want to once I start teaching your grandkids it's time for me to wrap it up but I I want to see you riding around with your friends I want to see you guys playing outside I want to see you guys riding around the car sunning your hair uh, blasting music like I want to see you guys just living your best lives and whatever I need to do as an educator, as an activist, um, whatever I need to do to use the power and the mic that I have, whatever I need to do to pa um, pass that on and create the just best society possible for you, like I would do whatever it takes. Okay, yeah, that's a powerful message. So what is it like for you being out there like on the front lines and talking with people and just being in that presence what is it like for you it's very comforting um that just like some of those same emotions that i'm feeling whether it's rage or anger or sadness or um diligence like whatever it is that i'm sharing that space with other people who feel the exact same way and of course it's always comforting when i see black women there it's always comforting seeing uh, fellow black men there but seeing non-black people there who are also from other marginalized groups. So whether it's um, 
Hispanic folk or LGBTQ folks or Jewish folks or um, low income folks or people with disabilities, just seeing all those people unite is what really makes it great at these protests and stuff because it's like, okay, I see you, I acknowledge your struggle. When it's your time, I got you. Um, an analogy that I heard a lot in 2020 is, um, especially with the Black Lives Matter movement, is that like, okay, your house is on fire right now. Whatever sources of water I had to put your fire out, whether it's a bucket, whether it's a water hose, whether it's, if it's an eyedropper and all I can spare is that, anything to help put your fire out, that way that when your house is on fire, I'm gonna return the same flavor. So uh, just seeing that, um, intersectionality between marginalized folks has just been incredible yeah it, it sadly it still feels like our house has just been on fire for years oh yeah just our community absolutely burning. yeah so, hopefully it'll change so speaking of seeing um different people and people of that are non-poc how do you navigate friendships um, of different races, especially like in the climate of how society is, um, and especially towards like your friends that may not be people of color? What is that like? So um, I've got a pretty diverse friend group. Like my older brother, what I call him, like my best friend is like the biggest country boy you'll ever meet. Like, but he also gets it. He's like, no, like, Black Lives Matter, like you all deserve a seat at the table. Like in the words of the South, like all means all y'all. So like I need to do to advocate for you and share that space, like I'm gonna do it. Like, and I've had people who are like non-POC, like get in the face of other non-POC and like really defend me. Like um, again, living in the South, like there's still sundown cities. There's still areas where um, black folk and brown folk don't feel comfortable. And it's really comforting to see um, non-POC just stand up and say, move. Like, he deserves a space here just like you do. So either you can move or I'm going to handle it personally. So that's been really great. And I could say that for most of my friend group, um, the people who don't believe it, especially in the last couple of years, I've weeded them out. And like, I have no regrets about it. And it's really strengthened who I am as a person and just allowing more space for people in my friend group who are advocates, who will stand up for POC women and other marginalized folks. So it's incredible. That is amazing. I think um, with everything going on, I feel like a lot of people of color, especially in the black community, they may feel a little weary about, you know, non-POCs and oh, yeah. going on especially those that aren't saying and I know some people are like it's just social media but social media is really a platform for you to speak up um, and use your voice to you know ally, ally with people of color and, and black people so I don't know it's just I get it I'm like okay you were putting up those cute little black squares like what are you doing have you shot um a black owned business are you advocating for people like what else are you doing besides doing these like social media antics that sound cute like yes you've used the hashtag yes you put blm in your bio but what else are you doing you know are you willing to give up the space that you're in for a person of color like so i do question people like that and um i conversations are hard and i've had some really difficult conversations with um friends and even other people in the black community like black lives matter means that all black lives matter and there's no if ands or buts not 
oh, well, you know, this is only for black men or this is only for black women or this is only for cis heterosexual black people. Like Black Lives Matter is for the entire black community. Right, right. Yeah, you're right. Those conversations are are difficult to have, but they're definitely necessary. Uh, we definitely see, you know, where black people are uplifting, especially black women uplifting each other, and hopefully the men will catch on. But it's like Dr. Martin Luther King, he had to do that. You know, we could all, you know, be equal, have that equality together, and it will be nice to have because you know we're taught to as black people taught to you know be nice and smile and just be welcoming and it's just like our counterparts are really basically taught to hate us and it's like we're just as human as you are yeah like i really enjoy having conversations with my students too because again i teach gen z they're woke and like they do not care like they speak their minds and in this time where it's like oh, you're teaching critical race theory or don't bring race into the classroom. Like, no, we're having those conversations. So if you want to report me, report me because we're talking about these things. And like their insight's just brilliant. Like literally, like none of them don't see why, like like all of them agree that black lives matter. And like, there's no if, ands, or buts. And if someone even begins to question it, they call them out immediately. And it's not just for that. And I can tell it's not trendy because they also stand up for, again, um, LGBTQ people, Jewish people, women, um, people who are less fortunate than them. They're against bullying. They're against um, things that are bad for the environment. Like, these kids love the environment. I will say that. Like, And it's really good to see that in this next generation. We definitely didn't. When I was in school, we definitely did not talk about that at all. So I'm glad that they do because the Africans damn near dying. It's like basically yeah. like a doctor dying at this point. Yeah, and I'm like, why are we not doing anything about it? Like, yes, I get that. Like, America is on the downfall, but like, we got to think about the trees and the birds and like the things that are like literally giving us life. And the ocean too, because yeah, exactly, giant. yeah. So, ah, oh, you just made me so proud. <laughs> I, I love hearing about like your your um you being a teacher and inspiring like the next generation. You are definitely going to be memorable. Thank you. That means a lot. <laughs> okay, so let's transition to. I don't want to say something lighter because advocacy is important. I want to get into your adventuring and like your love for adventure. So, how did how did this love for adventure start? So I, uh, you know, I'm an extrovert, and so I always have loved being around people. I've loved traveling. I've loved um, just getting out and exploring these spaces. Um, and then growing up, like I said, I grew up. Um, my dad was a forklift driver and my mom was a teacher's aide so um definitely a very humble beginning and we weren't able to travel as much or go as many places as sometimes like classmates or other places would go so like growing um once i got older and was out on my own stuff travel was something that i always wanted to do um my dad he did travel as much as he could with us like as kids and stuff he wanted us to see the world so 
whether it was just like an hour trip down the road or 30 minutes away, like just having that sense of I've gotten out of, um, I've traveled from home, but I also have a home to come back to as something that's really stuck with me. And so, um, I would say probably like after college, like once I was out on my own, like officially is when it was like, okay, I've lived in Southern Virginia for most of my life. Let's branch out. Let's see what else is out there. Okay. So do you have any, like, how do you plan out your trip? I don't. (laughs) (laughs) uh, I'll say this. I will, I'll set a budget. I find a place to stay. I determine how long I want to go there. Uh, I usually rent a car because I'm not trying to put all these miles in my car because I uh, can't afford another car. Right. So I do that. I do the agenda. I budget things out. And the rest of there, like, I just go with it. Okay. So what has been your favorite trip so far? I'd say it's between Chicago and Philly. And I'm actually going back to Philly in a couple weeks, and I'm super excited. I was... Sorry. I was so excited to see you out in Chicago. I'm not even going to lie. I, I was like, of all places, that... Chicago? <laughs> so that's a funny story with that one. Um, Chicago, don't tell my purpose, this was a manic episode. I was just like, that was cool. Like, spring break was coming. I was like, I got to get out. Like, I got to go somewhere. So I had budgeted some money for spring break. So I was like, where's the most reasonable place that like I can go and like have a decent time. So I chose Chicago. Um, fun fact, I've never been on a plane yet. So I was like, maybe this would be the first time I uh, travel by plane. Uh, tickets were ridiculous. So I was like, okay, um, I need some time just to like, like downtime. So let's go by train. And so I took a train and like traveled to Chicago and I love the idea of it. I would never take a train to Chicago again. I'll definitely fly again. It was 30 hours for trains. I I will be doing that. I met some very um, interesting, I'll put it like this, people in the way. Especially once we get to like New York and some of the like northern states. I was like, yeah, we're gonna fly next time. And how long was that train ride? 30 hours, both ways. Yep, it was, um, what is it, eight hours mm-hmm. to D.C., I think. Four to eight hours to D.C., and then uh, we had a layover, and then it was like 18 hours from D.C. to Chicago. Sheesh. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And I guess, so my thinking was, okay, this is a great time for me to write and read and, like, do all my creative stuff. And, I mean, that lasted a good couple hours, and it was like, okay, like, I'm legit on this train. Like, there's nowhere I can go. <laughs> I am, I am weak. Yeah. <laughs> it was, uh, again, it was a manic episode. I did not think that went all the way through. <laughs> but how was it being in in Chicago when she got there? Oh, I loved it. It was, um, so funny enough, so you hear these like stories about Chicago, like, oh, these are like the meanest people, like it's the like most unsafe. Chirac. And like, so when I was telling people like, hey, for spring break, like I'm going to Chicago, like I was getting all these weird looks. Like, <laughs> even my parents were like, I didn't tell them until like a day before because I knew that they were going to have a trip. 
And so they were even more mad about that. And I was like, <laughs> like, and people were like, you're just like nonchalant. And I was like, I don't know, maybe it's just like, it's not clicking. I'm just like, I'm in Chicago. And so, but it was like the best experience. Like some of the friendliest people, I stayed in the, it's like the financial district. Um, so it was like two blocks from Southside. So, I mean, I was close to it, but like, I felt really safe. Like I would walk around, like just out of precaution. Like I didn't do anything too late at night, but I mean, I walked around and it was some of the friendliest people I've ever met. Like I'd almost compare it to being down here in the South. Like, I mean, this people, people were holding the door open for you. Like they would greet you. Um, I mean, I've been in New York and like, those are some of the meanest people I've ever met, but like, yeah. I was like, I really enjoyed it. Like the food was phenomenal. Um, I got a lot of rush from school, like, and I'm a huge, like, architecture guy. So, like, when I go to a city, I'm always constantly, like, looking up at the buildings, the structures of things. Like, I love the buildings in Chicago. It was, I mean, it's just so dope. Well, I'm glad you went. <laughs> the Windy City is definitely on my, it's on my list, especially I do want to try a deep dish pizza oh god that was the food was just like phenomenal so i got a deep dish what else was on my list an italian sub and then a chicago dog i will say the chicago dog i think it's overhyped um between like the pickle and the relish and like the celery seed like it was a little much for me and i'm pretty adventurous so i was like eh, i'll just stick to a regular just like carolina dogs <laughs> I'm glad you have the fun for me, but I'm still, you got me on the, you got me on the train. I'm hollering. <laughs> I was like, Ugh. and then there was the like, oh God, I've got to do like 30 hours back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would have got me. So outside of your Philly trip, are you, do you have any other trips planned or you want to keep that on the, on the hush? Stay tuned. We'll do that. <laughs> Follow his social media. I've actually got a big announcement coming up in a couple weeks, I think. Oh, close to the end of May. So plug into those uh, social media feeds. Uh, give me a follow and I've got a couple of announcements coming up. Okay. All right. We're getting into like our last subcategory. Thank you for hanging with me this long. Absolutely. I'm loving this. Keep going. <laughs> okay. So we're going to get a little bit into the culture of being black. Herman, <laughs> the so, sub- this is gonna be it's gonna be fun for me. But I want these are some some questions I have prepared because first of all I'm not a black man. So I want to ask you about them and these are some things that we talked about we want to discuss. Mm-hmm. So the pivot podcast, I believe it was called something else before it became this name. So there was a commentator but and he's like an old NFL player by the name of Channing Crowder. And he had he got some flack on social media for his comments on Russell Wilson, and you know he called him a square, and even saying that Sierra was just with him for the money. So, in your opinion, as a black man, as a man in general, why do you think black? Why do you think black? Why do you think Russell Wilson gets so much hate from men um, and in the black community? I think it's because. So society, I mean, historically, I mean, from even centuries ago, society has created this picture, this image 
the stereotype of what they think black men need to be. They think they need to be strong. They think, I mean, I mean, I hate to bring in like history and like how like just Grisham was, but like black men were breeders. So they wanted them to be the toughest, just like they wanted them to be the providers. Okay. So there was no emotional attachment. I mean, black men were literally stripped from their families to create other families. And so that just like stereotype has been carried over. And then if you look into um, like traditional family structures of like the 80s and things like that, where um, there was more of these stereotypes about like black men or family men, it's just, I think, been so ingrained in our culture that when we see a black man who is a family man, who is in tune with his emotions, who wants to be not only a provider, but a caretaker as well, like someone who's tuned into his emotions and like his family's emotions, like society, particularly the black community doesn't know what to do. They're like, that's not how a man's supposed to be. Like man up, you're supposed to be the breadwinner and that's it. Like you bring the money, you bring the food, you put the food on the table, everything else is for the wife, everything else is for the woman. And I think that's just where like a lot of that feeling has like carried over because I think with this, like people are like, be a future, not a Russell Wilson. I'm like, are you serious? Like. Mm. Mm. yeah that's like I don't I don't want a future <laughs> yeah and that's the thing I'm like why we keep saying as the black community we gotta do better we want better for our kids we want better for our culture okay people like this are starting to lead the way why are we shutting them down why are we making fun of them like what's wrong with how he's parenting right and it's like Russell don't do nothing to nobody. That's the thing. I'm like, he's really minding his business. Like, he has taken this kid, like, under his wing. Like, and I remember there was one post that was, like, I think he, he was telling him, like, happy birthday. And he was like, this kid's my best friend. He saved my life. And, like, Future was making fun of him. He was like, this is my kid. Like, why are you being, like, such a wuss? Like, man up. Like, this is, like, like you were saying, like, it's all just, like, a front. Like, you're being a square. And I'm like, why... Cause I've been in those shoes. Like, I'm a nice guy. I think, like, you know, someone who goes to therapy, someone who practices self care, like, someone who really is in tune with who he is and like identity. And people like don't want that in black men. But I'm like, on the flip side, like, you're always saying that black men are aggressive. Like, black men cause crime. Like, black men need to soften up. But when they do, like, like, what do you want from us? Almost in a way, you know? Right. And I feel like. Because you asked the, we want the futures instead of the Russells, but I think people probably put put more emphasis on future because he has the money. They don't really look at look at the character. It's like he has money, so why wouldn't you want that? He has the bad boy image, so why wouldn't you want that? And it's just like, but what about his character? What about his personality? Like, how is he as at his core as a person? You know, so. And that is also that. If you're wanting to have children with this man, like why would you want half of this man's DNA to go towards your child, knowing that like this mentality has the likelihood of being passed down to this child? Like, mm. why would you expose your children, your offspring, your seed to that? You know what I'm saying? Like, it doesn't make sense to me. Yep. And I commend Russell because I believe there was like something in the news where he basically told the judge when they were going him and Sierra Future and Sierra were going through the court battle like we don't need anything from him we don't need any money we're good and I was just like very commendable 
Yeah, you cannot put a price tag on like decent home raising, on mental health, like the the safety of children. Like, there's no price. So again, yeah, I commend it. Like, definitely, you have to. And what else? I remember like an interview he did. He was said he was talking to his mom about dating Sierra, and she was kind of like, "Well, she is a single mother, so she comes with her son. So you have to be able, able and willing to accept that." And he did. And why are people so mad? And like, similar in a way, not quite the same, but like, as a teacher, like, I mean, if you see my post, I call these kids my kids. Like, whatever they need, I give to them. And a lot of them come from broken homes and things like that. And like, they lack that father figure. And so oftentimes, I mean, being a younger teacher, and these kids, there's literally like 10 years in between us. And like, they see me as, big brother because of like whatever and I get all this slack they're like oh well you don't need to be a role model for these kids like that's not your job you just need to feed them the content and keep moving I'm like no like how can I expect them to grow and bloom and be successful in society if emotionally like they're not there like they're missing that piece they don't have that male figure in their life and you want me just to like you can't throw seeds on concrete and expect things to grow, you know? Like, so if there's no like love, if there's nothing for, if there's nothing to attach to what I'm throwing things at, like it's just wasting my time and the kids are just gonna like, I don't know, put up this wall, you know? Like they're already getting this flack from home. Like, oh man, like they giving up on me at home. My teacher's giving up on me. Like what's the point of me doing anything? Like, no, that's not, as a teacher, like that is not the reason why I got into education. I have to say like that is just one thing that I hate about the school system they teach they're teaching kids well they've been teaching kids basically how to just become working adults you're just gonna work your life away and basically teaching them how to be robots but we're not and we're like such a production society and it's just like we're humans we're not robots exactly and I'm like this is why kids don't they shut down in your class or like when you try to communicate with them like they put up this wall like you're calling it being disrespectful or that they're not listening to you okay like you don't know what has gone on in this kid's house this home and like you barking at them is not going to make them open up not at all and trust me i was one of those students so yeah, I had some teachers that would, you know, pull me to the side, talk to me, see what's going on, but it it was very few and far between, for sure. Yeah, and I'm like, I mean, because the immediate first thing I do with my kids is like, good morning, how are we? Let's do a check-in. Because look, if they're not feeling it, I'm not going to teach my heart out just for it to land on like Rocky ground. Like, and they know, they all tell me in the heartbeat, Mr. Williams, I'm not feeling it today. Like, can I knock this out later? Or can I do something else instead? And my answer is always yes. Like, if you're not feeling it, like emotionally, if you're not there, like nothing else matters. Like, and they come to me at all points of the day. Yes, it gets a little just like, all right, y'all, I need a break. But like, I mean, these kids knock on my door, like before they start their day, like they check in with me before they even go to like any of their other classes. Like during their lunch, they're like, hey, like I know it's your lunch, I'm sorry. I just need to talk to you. And like, my answer is always yes. We need that kids need that definitely so 
it with the same podcast and with the same commentator i'm not sure if you watched the clip that i sent mm-hmm. um, but we see shaq being interviewed um talking about you know basically the fall of this marriage and the commentator as shaq is um taking accountability for his actions um the commentator is like it takes two in a marriage um but we see shaq still persistent like no like he's holding himself accountable so do you think in your opinion is it hard for men especially black men to hold themselves accountable and other black men accountable i believe yes um and i've seen this with um like older black men in my life like hey they it's hard for them to admit that they're wrong and it's hard to hold them accountable to things i mean even like the men in my life that I'm super close with, like we'll get into a discussion or, I mean, I'll go ahead and say like a disagreement and it's impossible for them to be like, oh, my fault. Like I, I see this the wrong way and, or I made a mistake and like they don't hold themselves accountable. And like early twenties, when I was first out in the world and stuff, like I saw myself picking up those habits. Mm-hmm. But then I realized like, I don't want to be like that. Like, I don't want to be miserable like this. Like if I'm wrong, please like, hey, I was wrong, correct me, show me the right way. Mm-hmm. And it's been like the best feeling and I'm starting to see like family members and stuff like turn around. Like, I mean, I'll be honest, like me and my dad are super close, but the first time I heard him say, oh shoot, my bad, was like in my twenties. And I was like, you have never admitted to her wrong, especially to me, like, and I guess I just, as a response has gotten used to it so i didn't expect apologies so like to hear my dad like apologize and like admit that he was wrong like hold be accountable for something like it kind of shocked me you knew you know and so um i don't know if it's because again going back to that stigma that like black men have to be the strongest um like we can't be wrong we can't um like if we fall everyone else falls you know so i think that's where it comes from that makes that makes a lot more sense um especially coming from a black man because we see like a lot of women especially black women try to speak for black men but we don't really know and like we don't know what black men really go through or what they're thinking because black men really don't open up um so we can only like guess what they're feeling or what they're thinking so and that's one thing that like i mean any of the guys in my life, like my guy friends, like my students, like especially black men, like I'm telling them like, you gotta communicate. You gotta tell me, I can't read minds. Like I can't help you until you communicate with me. And almost 95% of the time, like the first thing they say is, all right, I'm gonna talk to you, but don't tell nobody. And I'm always like, why would I tell somebody? (laughs) Why would that be the first thing on my list? Hey, like I wanna order some food, but by the way, let me tell you what XYZ told me. Like, I'm like, no, like, Obviously, you know that I'm a safe space. Like, you can talk to me about anything. And like, now that I've built that trust with a lot, especially like I said, my friend group, my students, like they come to me repeatedly now. And that's such a great feeling knowing that like, okay, we're starting to break that stigma that like, I've got a bottle at the end. Like, I can't talk to anybody. Like, uh, the only way I can deal with this is to smoke, get high, uh, participate in just like other risky self-harming behaviors, you know? When you say that, when they say don't say anything, I'm not sure if these are like your black students or anything, but it could just be anyone in general. They probably um, 
from my experience, they probably tried to talk to like a parent or someone they trusted, like a sibling or something, and they told. So that's probably where that comes from. I get it. I think it's also a little bit of pride. And then also just like, again, that going back to, all right, as black people, we've got to be strong. Like no one can know that I'm going through this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that is going to kill us. Yeah. Physically, <laughs> honestly, like literally killing us. Like this is why hypertension, um, diabetes, all these other ailments are so high in the black community because um I believe it was Tasha who we graduated with from Abert. She was like, we hold so much in, like as a people, like generation, generations of trauma and mm-hmm. illness and all these things that like, it's literally killing us. It is. Between just praying it away oh and God. holding it in, yeah, that will be our demise. Especially when like, I can visibly see that someone's upset or like they're not being themselves. I'm like, dude, what is wrong? Like, just spit it out. Like, I mean, like, if we, if you need to step to the side, like, if you need to do a phone call later, like, just say what's on your mind. Like, you're literally taking years off your life because you want to keep things bottled in. Yeah. I'm literally, like, the person, like, I'll see it. I may say good. They don't say anything. They may open up later, but I'll definitely let you know. If you need to talk, I'm definitely here. And part of my healing journey is that, like, I used to would stress myself sick over these people. Like, oh, my gosh, like, why aren't they opening up? Like, I need them to be their best self. Like, I don't want anything to happen about them. Like, I care so much about them. But then putting all that stress on myself, I'm like, hold up. Like, I'm doing just as bad. So part of my healing journey, um, I don't know if you do, like, a neogram. So I'm a type 2, so it's the helper. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I'm constantly just reaching out trying to help people. And part of my journey is okay, you can do that, but set that boundary that, like, if they don't want to open up, you've still provided that space that, like, they know that they can come to you, but you do not have to stretch yourself then to create space for them. Right. I don't know if I'm, I'm probably a helper, but maybe more so a fixer. I'm like, I'll try to fix it if I could. Yeah, yeah. And that's not always, I gotta let people fix it or figure it out for themselves. Exactly. So, getting back into this, <clears throat> since we were speaking on, well, I spoke on, like, women trying to, you know, fix and speak for black men, Tashina Arnold was also in the headline, and she got hate, so much hate, for her tweet um, asking, what can we as black women in America do to stop aiding in the emasculation of black men in America? So my question to you is, how can Black men in America stop emasculating themselves? I think it all goes back to identity. When Black men become comfortable with who they are in their identity and realizing that, like, I don't have to be the strongest person in the room all the time. Like, granted, like, I'm a Southern gentleman. Like, I practice chivalry. Like, I stand up for women. But at the same time, like... I'm comfortable with that identity. Like, I know it doesn't make me less of a man just because I stand up for women, because I respect women. I think so often that, like, chivalry and just being a decent person gets, like, confused with, like, sexuality. Like, people think that, oh, just because you're a good guy that, like, it has something to do with your sexuality. Like, no, I'm a straight male who cares about people and respects women. Like, it literally has nothing to do with sexuality. So I think that's where, like, some of that confusion comes. Again, going back historically, like, 
black men have to be the strongest man. Like they're the breeders, they're the caretakers. Like that's the role. Either that, or you're gonna get called a simp. Yeah, that's, I I don't get it. Again, it's like this double standard, and I get it, it's the same for black women. So like, mm-hmm. I don't want to preach too much to the choir, but like, there's this double standard for black men that, oh, you got to be tough, but you got to open up. But I want you to communicate with me, but I don't want you to be weak. But I want you to take care of yourself, but I don't want a mama's boy. Mm, that is factual. That is factual. That is honestly the truth. Yeah, yeah. I've had that conversation with girlfriends. Like, that's true. I, I actually read an article um, recently. Um, the youth pastor at my church and I were having a conversation when we hired the youth intern at the church. Um, I think the question was like, what do you think the best quality about yourself is? And the youth intern was like, well, I'm going to be completely honest. Like, I'm a mama's boy. Like, he was like, you're hired. Like, I'm not answering anything else. Because he knew that because he respects his mom, he's going to respect other women. Like, he's comfortable. This guy's also like a wrestler. So, uh, the fact that, like, he's comfortable enough with his identity that he respects women and it's not going to get in the way that he puts his mama up there. Like, that's all that matters. If you respect women, more than likely you're a decent person. Yeah. Because, listen, some women can help you in life that you wouldn't even know. Not saying that black men can't help you, but... Yeah, yeah. Women are definitely the nurturers, um, so they can help push you um, further and get you on track. I agree. And then, like, in a society where, like, single dads are becoming more and more common, like, Mm -hmm. I think men are beginning to learn that, like, okay, I can have this, like, dual role. Like, traditionally, men are seen as, like, okay, I'm the provider... Like, I'm the breadwinner, that's all I need. Like, the mom would be the emotional one. Like, okay, I can play both roles, and, like, it's okay. Like, I'm not less of a man because I read to my kids or because I cry or because I gave my son a hug. Like, no, like, I'm confident enough in my masculinity that, like, I'm okay with that. It's just being a normal human. That's the thing. I'm like, why did everything become, like, gender norms? Like, oh, you cried today. Like, okay, so what? Like... You were obviously upset about something, so the human reaction is to cry, like. Yeah. Uh, Gender norms and everybody's like, you're in your masculine energy, you're in your feminine energy, and I'm just like, it's human. We, we have it, but good lord. And it's like it's a spectrum. It's like it's fluid. So yes, like some days you might be like going through it, so you're gonna be a little bit more emotional. Like it's okay. Mm-hmm. Like some days you're super calm in it, like you're killing it like you want to be the top dog in the room like as long as it's not harming any other boundaries of other folks like that's okay like be confident there's nothing wrong with that not at all so do you think the black community will ever be unified and how in what ways could that happen i think we're getting there but with black culture like that's a beautiful thing about black culture like we are so diverse like without black people like there would be no creativity there wouldn't be culture and like mm. within black culture you've got hip-hop heads you've got alternative people you've got people who are um you've got people who like anime that's becoming like a big thing now yeah. when we get rid of this thing that within our culture that like unless you do xyz 
like you're not black like your blackness is not valid like that's when i believe that we'll unify and also just like again with the black lives matter thing like that includes all black lives so it's not just like normative black lives that we think this is what blackness is like if you identify as black like you immediately get a invite to the cookout oh my gosh yeah we need to stop that yeah we need to stop that and I definitely do agree like we need to stop saying like this like we're basically making ourselves look like a monolith when we're not like there's so much to black people and different things so yes and I agree and like like I remember when I was in high school like I definitely I mean I had a huge variety of friends like even to this day so I had friends who were skater I had friends who were artistic I had friends who were a little ratchet I had friends who were punk like I had friends who were hipsters like I and I took like bits and pieces of their culture because I was like okay I like this type of music but I also vibe with you and you're hilarious I'm hanging out with you and like I just took bits and pieces of things and oftentimes people are like oh well you're not black because you do this like I'm like, it's 2022, we're still doing this. Like, mm-hmm. yes, I love rock music. Like, I'm going to see Coldplay in Philly. Like, that has nothing to do with like my blackness. Like, we have got to stop that as a as a people. Yes, and please let them know we created damn near every genre of music. Literally, like anything that is like trendy, that is culture, I mean, immediately goes to black women because black women are like the pioneers of all like good and beautiful culture like shout out to black women like and i was just having a conversation with a co-worker that like things are deemed ghetto until it's trendy mm-hmm. so like bamboo hoops or like long nails or like lashes things like that like all before like in black culture that was seen as like ratchet or ghetto or like with black men like baggy clothes like mm-hmm. just all that was ghetto it was like thug life until white people started doing it and then it was like trendy and that's why, like, I have, I mean, like, I love TikTok, but I also have this, like, rough relationship with it because I'm, like, you're stealing from Black creators. Like, Black creators started these trends, mm-hmm. and they're not getting their due diligence because these, like, white influencers and, like, these white content creators are taking over. And that's honestly what inspired me to want to become a content creator and influencer because you don't see Black men in these spaces. You don't see Black people in these spaces. Like, I like want to create this table for us and i read an article i think it was a couple weeks ago no maybe it was a couple months ago Mm -hmm. that like atlanta is the hot spot for like influencers now i'm like finally like some of the attention is going to like a predominantly black area like hopefully we can take over the creative scene and just like all the attention and the credits that we deserved years and years ago like maybe this is our time to take it back yeah, but Atlanta has been the black mecca for years, even if it was just, you know, they had hair for sure. Exactly. Music. Exactly. Um, I don't think fashion, but I know definitely music and um, hair. Yeah. Um, but again, I, before then, it was like, oh, Atlanta's so ghetto. Like, if you go down there, like, it's ratchet. Like, mm-hmm. you get shot. And I'm like, no, like, Atlanta is dope. Like, I love Atlanta. I'm not crazy about their traffic, but I also love DC and like the black community there. They're very supportive of one another. Um, I definitely love DC, the DMV area. Yeah. 
I'm trying to get back, but. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so we spoke a little bit about HBCUs. So to you, um, why is HBCUs important to Black culture? Because I believe that students need to see that Black people, we're great already. Mm-hmm. And to see us dominate, especially in fields like STEM and the arts, and other areas where it's usually just like white dominated just to have our own mecca our own sanctuary where we like come together as a community and um we unite and we provide the space for ourselves but i will say like like i mentioned earlier like i i wish i would have went to an hbcu i miss my miss out on that culture like mm-hmm. my kids will go to an hbcu but i also am noticing that like that's another area of like division in the black community that like we're doing a little bit of shunning. It's whether it's, oh, you went to an HBCU, like you think you're better than us, blah, blah, blah. Or, oh, you didn't go to an HBCU, you went to a PWI, like you can't sit with us, you know? Like, so I am seeing a little divide with that. Um, I think that HBCUs, yes, like they deserve all the respect and stuff, but also share the space with your other black brothers and sisters that like, okay, maybe they didn't have that opportunity. So still pass the mic, share the space with them. Right. Yeah. I definitely wish I went to HBCU. I probably would have went to Howard. Oh yeah. <laughs> if I could. Oh and, yeah. And you said you your kids would go to HBCU or you Absolutely. like when my kids are applying for college, like they're gonna get the list of what, like hundred and fifty schools, like you choose from one of these. Like Right. And we see like a lot of um artists pouring into HBCUs. I know Travis Scott just did one, like he poured into some HBCUs and then of course we see Beyonce and Jay Z they, you know, give scholarships to HBCUs and give back. So And some people like pay off the student loans for like these students and stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that's incredible. Like we're we're creating we're eliminating debt to create some just like cultural wealth. Yeah, and I'm not sure if you saw, um, her name is Pinky. She does the Slutty Vegan in Atlanta. She just, you know, paid for her Clark Atlanta University, her alma mater. She paid for um, those graduates to have LLCs. So that's dope. Yeah, that's like, again, just like preparing the next generation, like any way we can, I support Mm -hmm. them. We're definitely going into like, everybody's going to be an entrepreneur or content creator influencer type thing i love it for sure so we're going to wrap it up slowly but surely two more questions so with the climate of what's going on um in the world right now what do you think the black community could be doing better i think we need to start going to therapy i think we need to start listening more I think we need to start like dropping these stereotypes that have been like placed on us that like black men need to be the caretaker. I mean, excuse me, black men need to be the providers and black women need to be the caretakers. Like once we eliminate like these like gender norms and things like that, and we just see each other as human beings, I think that's when the black community is really going to begin to thrive. You know what? I honestly thought you was going to say like <laughs> I thought you was going to say we need to go get. Um, license to carry. Well, that too. <laughs> we also need to get our own land. We need to yes. begin to uh, support black businesses. Um, yes. 
bring back the Black Panther movement for sure. <laughs> oh, what? You you think? Uh, I, that is going to cause some trouble. If you look at, so I'm doing my like program through Liberty. And so, of course, some of the stuff that I bring up, like it just makes them so uncomfortable. So one of the the papers that I wrote was the Black Panthers and their influence on the public school education because like the Black Panthers really had a huge influence on public education because they're the ones who started like the lunch program, like free breakfast and lunch for kids, but they get this rep of being just like these violent like like militant like this terrorist group and that's not what the Black Panthers represented like the only reason why they got violent was because people got violent with them and they had to protect themselves. And their community, as they should. Yeah. Right. Um, and also, I'm, I'm slowly, slowly, like, I'm, I agree with Dr. King. Like, I would love for everything to be civil. But I'm really starting to think we should have took Malcolm X's route. Me and my because... <laughs> They were like, you're Team Martin. We're Mar- Malcolm all the way. I'm like, okay, y'all. <laughs> I am, because, like, I read his book, and I'm kind of like, okay, like, I just, like, in a sense, like, he was speaking out against, you know, what the corruption and what was going on in the world, and even though, like, he was being, like, tracked and stuff like that, like, him and him and Martin, Dr. Martin Luther King, they spoke about the same things, but their messages was like kind of different, if you will. So. Yeah, like when Malcolm was like, "Okay, like I only want black people at the table." Like I'm starting to see why he said it. Like it wasn't this idea of like, "Oh, I'm only excluding," like I'm excluding white people. Like yes, he did, but it's like, okay, let's bring some black voices to the table talk about what we need to talk about and then like okay if you're willing to agree with us yeah you're invited but besides that if you disagree just stay away you know what I'm saying right and you had to be I'm guessing like you had to be careful with you know white people back in that day because you never know they was like part of the KKK what size they were on like you just had to be careful and you didn't know like you don't want to let your guard down and then all of a sudden you see like these burning crosses and these hooded people like in your yard because you told the secret meeting spot to Susie who wanted to all of a sudden join the um, the movement like no I totally get it yeah so I'm, I'm kind of getting on like we should have went the, the Malcolm route although I'm okay with Dr. Martin Luther King and being civil because I would love for that but I just feel like so on the flip side did you know that Martin was not as like peaceful as people like paint him to be nor uh rosa parks you know i read i read an article about him like he was slowly starting to be like change well, like his rhetoric like if you keep poking the bear eventually like they're going to like rise up against you like and I was the thing. somewhere because like one of his quotes was a riot is the voice of the unheard mm-hmm. and like people are like oh well, he's all about and like white people will like that's their favorite thing about Martin Luther King is that he was quote non-violent I'm like no like that's not quite what he was painting like he wasn't as radical as Malcolm but he was like she's mm-hmm. non-violence but like you said if you poke the bear wake the bear up yeah and same with Rosa like I didn't realize that like she carried a gun like she was not this like peaceful woman who just like sat on the bus and said no like 
she had gotten tired too so she was like okay like what's up listen brandy was packing she was packing <laughs> i read that i was like there's no way like I, can't, I mean she lived in the south i'm sure like she's like i have to take these precautions and i guess her saying no was just her first step like stop playing with me yeah that's the thing and then she's tired she didn't work 12 hours you talk about some get up no you better move right so hopefully it'll get better for the black community so my last question and then we're going to do like our wrap up what do you love about black culture i love how creative we are we are trendsetters we uh we just do dope things like we touch things and they like immediately become like viral they become trendy it becomes magic like and we work with like little to nothing and we just create we literally spin hay to gold like i love about black people i think it's just like in our genes just like to take what little we have and just to create something just incredible and that's my favorite thing about being black about black culture like i absolutely love it well that's my last question for you so i want to thank you for jumping on this we've been at it for like a minute now but i wanted to say thank you for coming um is there anything you want to uh say or add um support educators support black women support black creators uh follow your dreams travel um go to spaces that you usually wouldn't go to uh change the narrative as far as like mental health um places that you've cried in the past go laugh places that you've mourned go dance um what else do i got oh these are like gems hold up <laughs> um spaces that you that you're not invited to like create your own table or pull up a chair like if there are spaces that you're afraid that oh well i'm not gonna fit in or what if they say this literally pull up a chair like or build your own table like there's nothing wrong with it if you're thinking about doing it it's it'll work out go for it do it all right before i let you go throw out your social media throw out your email throw it out throw it out yes so again uh primary account um is instagram follow me Corey runs wild it's c-o-r-e-y runs wild same with TikTok. I'm trying to reach 2K by this summer. And then on TikTok, I would love to reach 10K so I can start getting their creator funds. Um, if you're interested in collaborations as far as like brands and um, social media work, all my creative services, um, email me at Corey at the or just DM me on Instagram. And I would love to collect and collaborate. All right, thank you, Corey. We're gonna have to do this again, but thank you for taking the time out. Absolutely, thank you again. I loved it. All right, talk to you soon. All right, bye. Bye.